0: You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to renewedheartministries.com and click donate. And yet, again, we have to be much more scandalized by the institutional violence that leads to violent rebellion. ...than the violence of those who stand up to institutional violence. Those two types of violence, they're not the same. One is They're both violence, but one is primary and the source or the cause of the other. Welcome to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery, and this is a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee might have to offer us today in our work of love, compassion... And justice. This is episode 298, and our title is a primer on self affirming nonviolence, part. Five. I want to pause for a moment again this week and ask for your support. Renewed Heart Ministries is a nonprofit organization working for a world of love and justice, especially, specifically justice, uh, for the least of these. And we need your support to bring the kind of resources and analysis that RHM provides. Intersections between faith and love, compassion and justice, they're needed right now more than ever. Help Christians be better humans. Please consider making a tax donation to Renewed Heart Ministries today. To do so, all you have to do is go to our website at renewedheartministries.com and click donate on the top right. Or if you prefer to make a a donation by mail, our address is Renewed Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 1211, Lewisburg, West Virginia, 24901. And to those of you out there who are already supporting this ministry, I just want to say thank you. We could not continue being a voice for change without your support. I've been teaching Christian nonviolence for quite some time now, and the number one objection that I get from American Christians is based on a passage in Luke's version of the Jesus story. This is Luke 22, 36. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Now, the objection goes something like this. See, see right here, Jesus is telling them, go buy a sword. It is undeniable that Jesus was admonishing his disciples to go buy swords. But we have to also ask why. Did Jesus want them to use these swords to bring about the social vision of the kingdom, or did he want the, them to, to use these swords to defend his social vision of the reign of God from the status quo, we don't have to read too far in the story to get a clear answer. In the very next sentence, uh, we begin to get a hint. On All we need to do is just keep reading. In Luke 22, verse 37 through 38, Jesus continues, It is written... And he was numbered with the transgressors. I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is about what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, "See Lord, here are two swords." That is enough, he replied. So let's look at this story just one step at a time. The word here translated as transgressors is the Greek word anomos. It means lawless. Jesus was more than simply a focal point of religious controversy. To be deemed worthy of being crucified, Jesus had to be seen as an insurrectionist, an armed rebel. Jesus's crucifixion, it was political, not religious. Mark, who's believed to be the earliest gospel in Mark 15, 27, he states that they crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. The Greek word here translated as rebel I, 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 in this verse in Mark is Leste's. It means an insurrectionist. It was a it was a Robin Hood type figure, if you will. Jesus would uh, will be numbered. It says with the insurrectionists, the transgressors. Of the Pax Romana, Jesus uh, will be perceived as as a political threat to the Pax Romana or the peace of Rome, a lawless one, a political e- enemy, and an upstart Messiah. In Luke's second volume, the Book of Acts. His early followers were also characterized this way. In Acts 17, 6-7, it says, These men, who have caused trouble all over the world, have have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying there is another king, one called Jesus. So for Luke, Jesus and his band of disciples, they need to be caught with swords in their possession. And the mixture of the claim— that this could be the Messiah uh, who might lead the people to freedom from oppressive Roman rule, and the claim that Jesus' disciples were gathering or stockpiling swords, that would light the Roman fuse that would lead to the crucifixion. Now, I I reject the interpretation that Jesus's counsel to buy swords was about Jesus wanting his disciples to wield them in the next part of the story. Uh, two swords for, for 12 men, it wouldn't be enough for each of them to use, number one. Yet Jesus states that, that two would be enough for them to be numbered with the transgressors. And further, when Peter does pick up and wield one of those two swords later in the story that evening, he provokes one of the strongest rebukes that Jesus gave in the Gospels. This is uh, from Luke 22, 35 through 53. And you can cross-reference it with Matthew 26, 51 through 54, and John 18, 10 through 11. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. While he was speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? Now pause for a moment. This is just a few hours later. Here are them, they're referring to, to the two swords that, that 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 we've just been introduced to earlier in the story. They're saying, "Shall we strike with our two swords? And one of them, it says, didn't even wait for the answer. It says, one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear, but Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priest, the officers of of the temple guard and the elders who had uh, come for him. Am I leading a rebellion that you've come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me. There's a lot in this passage, but for for our purposes this week, uh, I want to focus on Jesus' rebuke of Peter for for actually wielding one of the very swords that Jesus said was enough. Jesus rebukes the disciple who used the sword to cut off the, the priest servant's ear. And Peter was likely aiming for the servant's head. The, the only reason that it took off his ear was the servant probably leaned sideways to escape the swing, and the sword glanced off the side of his head, taking off his ear. Jesus then rebukes the disciple with the phrase, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Jesus is teaching his followers that his goals cannot be accomplished for society by violence. And it would be well to remember uh, the words of others who 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 belong to communities that face institutional violence. This is uh, Rita Nakashimi-Brock and Reverend Dr. Rebecca Parker. This is uh, 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 from their book, Saving Paradise, How Christianity Traded Love of This World for Crucifixion and Empire, page 13. Violence can beget fear, stale mate, annihilation, dominance, or more violence, but it cannot beget love, justice, abundant life, community or peace. And Audre Lorde from Sister Outsider uh, Essays and Speeches, page 112, she wrote, for the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. They may allow us temporarily to beat him at his own game, but they will never enable us to bring about genuine change. Rome, we have to remember, it sought peace through the threat of violence, and specifically crucifixion. Jesus' social vision, it was instead about establishing societal peace and distributive justice through self-affirming, as we've covered in this series, nonviolent resistance. It was a societal goal where the means matched the end, and some will some will object to, to 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 this interpretation. They'll say, "But Jesus was supposed to die, so this rebuke of Peter that those who live by the sword will die by the sword, uh, it doesn't apply to us. His death was for a specific purpose, so that means that his words about this they had a specific meaning." Well, before Rome embraced Christianity and changed Christianity's social location. Christians didn't interpret Jesus' words to Peter as having an isolated, specialized application. Tertullian is just one example. He wrote in Of Idolatry, chapter 19, the Lord in disarming Peter thenceforth disarmed every soldier. Jesus is giving a universal principle that those who live by the sword, they die by the sword. Here in the United States, we have the largest military presence in the world. We spend more on our military than all of the next 10 countries with large militaries combined. And yet at home, uh, domestically, our attitudes and choices towards violence, that also means that we have the highest rate of gun violence and gun-related deaths in the world as well. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. And as we saw in part four of this series last week, Jesus's cross, it wasn't something that he embraced instead of us. It was something we're called to join him in as long as we interpret taking up one's cross in self-affirming nonviolence and not patient, Passive endurance of suffering, we're called to join Jesus in the choice to resist and stand up against oppression, even if threatened with a cross for doing so. What we see in Luke's gospel is that within context, Jesus' call for his disciples to go and buy by a sword, it should not be interpreted as Jesus intending them to use the swords that they bought, to take from Jesus's words that he transitioned from nonviolence to being okay with his disciples wielding swords, that interpretation has borne very destructive fruit for the Christian tradition. Christianity's bloody history, it teaches us that we have to question a Christian acceptance of violence— And we have to work to repair the damage that violent forms of Christianity have done to marginalized communities. And lastly, this week, I want to offer one word of caution about this story. One could argue that Peter was using the sword in self-defense and therefore Jesus is against self-defense. I do not equate self-defense with the institutional violence that causes marginalized communities to have to defend themselves. We must, uh, we have to learn how to distinguish between the self-defense of the oppressed and the use of violence by those that are privileged and empowered uh, to use that violence to maintain and protect their privilege and power. Those are two very different things. And, And I, 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 I don't interpret this story as being against self-defense of the weaker against those who are stronger. I interpret it as being against taking up violence as a form of a revolution. Jesus was a revolutionary, yet his revolution was for the sake of his own Jewish people's survival in the face of Roman retaliation. It was to be a revolution re- rooted in a nonviolent violent self-affirming uh, it was to be a resistant revolution Jesus's revolution it could not be accomplished by violence and yet again we have to be much more scandalized by the institutional violence that leads to violent rebellion than the violence of those Who stand up to institutional violence? Those two types of violence, they're not the same. One is, they're both violence, but one is primary and the source or the cause of the other. So I want to close. Uh, this week with two statements that I believe profoundly speak to this caution. The first is from uh, John Sobrino. This is his book, Jesus the Liberator, page 2:15. First, Jesus's practice and teaching demand absolutely the unmasking of and the resolute struggle against the form of violence that is the worst and most generative of others because it is the most inhuman and the historic the historical principle at the origin of all dehumanization, structural injustice in the form of institutionalized violence. It follows that we must unmask the frequent attitude of being scandalized at revolutionary violence and the victims it produces without having been scandalized first and more deeply at its causes. So yes, violence, uh, there are two kinds of violence here, but typically we tend to be offended by revolutionary violence over and above the institutional violence that causes that revolutionary violence. Again, Jesus was teaching a nonviolent revolution, but we have to be careful. Uh, And the second is from Oscar, the late Oscar Romero. This is from a homily that he gave uh, before he was assassinated. Um, He gave this homily on September 23 in 1979. I will not tire of declaring that if we truly want an effective end to the violence, we must eliminate the violence that lies at the root of all violence. Structural violence, social injustice, the exclusion of citizens from the management of the country, repression. All of this is what constitutes the fundamental cause from which the rest naturally flows. If you're concerned about Uh, uh, revolutionary violence, then the, the surest way to stand up to the response of revolutionary violence is not to critique revolutionary movements, but to work hard to end the injustice that leads to revolutionary violence. There is a lot to consider this week, heart group application. Can you give examples of non-lethal forms of personal self-defense or, or stopping another person from doing harm? And 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 have you seen these forms used with success? And share some stories with your group. Number two, can you give any historical examples where non-lethal forms of resistance around the globe uh, were used to bring about both societal reformation or even revolutionary? Change? And then number three, both lethal and non-lethal forms of resistance have their successes and they have their failures. Discuss the difference between when violent forms of resistance fail and when non-violent forms of resistance fail. Is there a difference in the extent to which they not only succeed, but is there a difference in the extent to which they fail as well? And discuss as a group. Uh, Thanks for checking in with us this week. Uh, Wherever you are, keep choosing love, compassion, action, reparative and distributive justice. Another world is possible if we choose it. Don't forget, we need your support here at Renewed Heart Ministries to continue making a difference. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week.